welcome to another edition of The Dugout here on WFI with myself, Andy Wales. Uh, the Dugout is the podcast that brings you different perspectives on a wide range of footballing talking points from all around the world. Now today, the UEFA Cup and Cup Winners' Cup are the topics of discussion, as I am joined by senior writer at These Football Times, uh, Stephen Scragg. And he is the author of A Tournament Frozen in Time and his new book, where the cool kids hung out. So welcome to the show, Stephen. Um, I've got to say, this is uh, this is one I've been looking forward to, getting into the nitty-gritty of the Cup Winners' Cup and the UEFA Cup. Oh, thanks for having me on, Andy. No, it's, uh, I think we've hovered around the same the same environments for, for a long, long time, and, and this, but this is the first time we've managed to, to, to cross paths. And uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for the invite. A pleasure's all mine, pleasure's all mine. Um, so your first book then, A Tournament Frozen in Time. Kind of briefly, what, what's it? What's the book about? Um, how well was it received and, and what was the inspiration behind writing it? Um, well, I had a, a, a completely different book on the go, which I've still got to go back and finish, actually. Um, and uh, I was doing a series of podcasts for these football times on uh, the glory days of of the European tournaments, as was so before the Champions League and before the Europa League and the the, the metamorphization of, of the UEFA Cup. So it, it was basically propelled around the Cup Winners' Cup, uh, the two-legged final era of the UEFA Cup and the, the European Cup, as was. And they, they were just very well-received uh, podcasts. You know, people were just... Because it... it it kind of lent on the old sports night and, and um, midweek sports special era, which was what I grew up with. I was a child then. And uh, I, I just used to be able to utilise the the late night on a school night to watch watch a bit of European football. Uh, and back then, there were very few live games, you know, maybe the final here and there. Certainly not the UEFA Cup final, but, you know, big, big European Cup final would tend to be live on television. Uh, the occasional Cup Winners' Cup final would, would make it on live. But other than that, it tended to be highlights. So you would listen to the games on the radio, be that, you know, Sport on 2, Radio 2, which used to, to do live commentaries before the advent of Radio 5, 5 Live came along. Uh, but then for me, you know, uh, around the Merseyside area, it meant Radio City as well. Radio Merseyside, so it, it tended to depend on who had the best radio signal rather than any any favoritism for which which station it was, and uh, and yeah, it, it just kind of like had a very evocative feel to it, and all of this came flooding out in the podcast that we did, and um, one of my fellow senior writers at these football times, um, Will Sharp, he part tongue-in-cheek, part not tongue-in-cheek, said you need to put a Cup Winners' Cup book on your to-do list. And, um, and yeah, half laughed it off. And, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought it was a, a, a viable idea. It was fast coming up to the 20th anniversary of the end of the tournament. I was talking to a publisher about this other book idea I had. And um, I just said, well, look, I've got this other idea on the drawing board uh, on the European Cup Winners' Cup. It's going to be 20 years. Uh, since it ended and that was enough the publisher without seeing a word written just said yeah let's go for that let's do it let's let's do that one and get it out there so it just it was just one of those kind of ball of momentum a bit of a, a bit of a snowball 
and that, that just started and, and rolled into a boulder and and off and away it went it caught people's imagination as soon as I, I outed it on social media people were were busy telling me that they were pre-ordering it because you have your book release date and then about five four or five months before it's coming out it goes on uh, pre-order so pitch publishing my publisher they they put it on their own shop uh, it tipped up on amazon on pre-order so then i was getting messages from people while i was part way through writing the book saying that yep i've ordered it so i'm thinking god i've not finished it yet and people have already bought it um, <laughs> so yeah and then it was pressure soon, yeah pressure was on then and then it, it it was interesting because there was a you know a really good uh everton uh fan that i know he's he's one of the best blues i know uh paul dempsey and he said oh i've ordered three i've ordered one for me and and you know a couple as as uh as christmas presents so then i had to kind of like reread my chapter on everton Everton's won an 80 <laughs> I've, I've done them enough justice here and you know so yeah I tweaked it and bigged them up a bit more just you know because because it was uh it, it was well worth the sale but yeah it, it went well you know eventually you know wildly it, it ended up on the shortlist for the football book of the year and it was it was just like bursting through one door to another to another and uh, I still to this day describe myself as a as an accidental author um so while I always loved writing and started from a fanzine um, standard, you know, I used to write for Red All Over the Land many moons ago. Um, and, and it's just kind of like a hobby that's that's got out of hand almost. Oh, there's, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that, is there? It's, that is the passion, isn't it? That's I think that's the big thing, is the passion shines through no matter what you're doing, uh, writing or speaking. And, and obviously if you can just come across a subject that that captures the imagination it's um yeah yeah it's just one of them things um so i I know we'd mentioned it before we actually started recording but um yeah what's it like then that that first time you physically get to hold that book this thing that you've created all of it's come together and there it is in your hand oh it's it is an amazing feeling you know no one can prepare you for it you know i could describe how it's going to feel and that it's going to blow you away, you know, to any anyone who's on the brink of of, of experiencing that. But you never can do it justice to how it feels. Um, you know, my publisher sent out uh, a box. You get your your a box full of what they call the author's copies, and uh, and yeah, it just knock on the door one day and and it said books on the side of the box, and it was kind of like leaving you under no illusion what was in there. So you're kind of like you're holding this package like it's the most precious thing in the world, and when you open it up and shift all the kind of like a huge novelty sized bubble wrap and stuff like that, the there's these books, and uh, yeah, it's it's wild. It really is wild to see you, your own name on the front of a book uh, with a cover that you have dreamt up. It's it's just so it's so surreal, and that cover as well. Uh, just just looking at that. The the Rand Stadion in Dusseldorf is that uh, was it was that John Walk? Did you say? Uh, no, the the uh, frozen time. That's Dinamo Tbilisi versus Carl Zichena, which is you know the two uh, Eastern Bloc sides. So when they played that final in Dusseldorf, um, there were very few supporters from either team there, and they tried to give away tickets locally. There was about. Five and a half thousand, six thousand at that game. Still not the lowest attended European final of all time, but you know, just this this 
sparsely populated stadium uh, with the big, huge electronic scoreboard and and these two teams that play beautiful, beautiful football as well. You know, this was a you know a hipsters kind of utopia, really. The nineteen eighty one final, uh, and and on the on the front cover, it's uh, Tbilisi scoring their winning goal. Uh, it's uh, Gutsiev and uh, Vitaly Daraselia, who was was tragic. He uh, he he went to the World Cup with the Soviet Union in nineteen eighty two, and died before the year was out. He uh, was in a car that that came off a mountain road, uh, crashed into a stream, a river below, and he he was washed away and, and found like a week and a half later. And uh, and one one of the, that was that was one of the and there was there was another tragic team and it was Tbilisi these this was a team not Liverpool out of the the European Cup uh, early doors in seventy nine eighty uh, they were the the stereotypical crack Eastern European outfit as as David Coleman would, would refer to these teams, um, but yeah it, it was a, an amazing thing because on uh, Facebook of all things I, I was located by. Uh, uh, Vitaly Daraselia's daughter, who who just thanked me for for writing the book and and uh, and having this cover where her dad was on her, and and it was a really it, it was it was more probably the most humbling part of of, of the whole process. Mm. I, I guess in obviously you, you cover that then in the book, Tbilisi uh, and that and that final. Yes, I do. It's uh, and that nineteen eighty one final is just so. I mean, I, with the Cup Winners' Cup, it was just a, such a random tournament because, unlike the UEFA Cup, which drew its teams on a basis of consistency, so it would be teams who finished in the high position season after season. So, you know, from a from an English first division perspective, Tottenham were often in the UEFA Cup. Uh, Manchester United would be on it on a regular basis. Uh, Everton would tip up on a you know on a semi regular basis. Arsenal another one. So there was a rank and file to the UEFA Cup. Um, with the European Cup, it was it was based on winning your league title. So if certain teams were regulars at winning the league title in their country, there's you no know, there was less of the the blanket domination that there is now. You know we didn't have like Juventus winning nine in a row there. You know, but at the same time, you know, Liverpool played in the European Cup every season between what 1976, 77, and 84, 85. So there will be regular visitors to the European Cup. There will be regular visitors to the UEFA Cup, but the Cup Winners Cup, based on domestic cup success, you know, there, there was never that hegemony in in domestic cups. So you know, one year it might be Manchester United or Liverpool or Arsenal, or the biggest teams, or Juventus, or, you know, uh, one of the Milan's. You know, other years there will be. An, an utterly random side in there that you wouldn't expect. <laughs> well, obviously they couldn't do, couldn't uh, enter because of the the ban at the time. But yeah, that eighty seven cup final, yeah, you get something like that, uh, a complete shock, a team from nowhere. So you could, in theory, have a second division team in the cup winners' well, cup. Yeah, that probably well, we did. I mean, from from an English first, again an English first division perspective. Uh, in the nineteen seventies, Sunderland won the FA Cup from the second division in seventy three. So they. Uh, represented in 73-74. Southampton won in 76 from the second division. So again, they were another one. West Ham, when they won in 1980, did so as a second division side. So this this 80-81 tournament had just the most random uh, generators imaginable. It was a great West Ham side that were were completely out of, uh, you know, they they shouldn't have been out of the the top flight for, for three years. Uh, contrived to get relegated and struggled to get back, but with a team full of 
of uh, fine, fine players and, and several internationals in there. Uh, but they ended up playing Castilla, Real Madrid's reserve side, for instance, in that tournament because Castilla, they got to the, uh, the Copa del Rey final in 1980 against Real Madrid. So Real Madrid and Real Madrid's reserve side contested that 1980 final. Uh, Real Madrid already having won the title, swept the cup final 6-1, but by default, Castilla ended up in the Cup Winners' Cup and uh, and West Ham played them. So you know, the, 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 the utterly random nature of it was, was remarkable. And there was, there was things like, uh, you know, winners of the Welsh Cup would go into it. So, you know, Newport County with John Aldridge scored in goals and made it to the quarterfinals in 1981 as well. Uh, you know, you would have Cardiff City back in the late 60s got to within 90 minutes of the final in uh, in 68. You know, they'd, had, they'd done well in Hamburg in the first leg and had set themselves up nicely for the return leg at Ninian Park, but uh, they, they blew the chance to, to reach the final. So it was it was this, this wonderfully random nature to it. And the fact that Eastern European teams did far better in it than they did in the European Cup and the UEFA Cup. Uh, it just it just had this wonderful nature to it, and, and no team ever retained it either. So you didn't have like the European Cup where Real Madrid won the first six. You didn't have uh, you know Ajax winning three in a row, Bayern Munich winning three in a row, Liverpool's you know four in seven seasons, seven years. Uh, so yeah, the the Cup Winners' Cup just seemed to to take no prisoners. Mm. I, I mean, based on that, obviously, like you say, you know, you don't get that consistency what which could I mean to some people can can it sometimes perhaps get a little bit boring and that like the UEFA Cup or the uh, as now the Champions League from the Euro- European Cup, you know, similar teams getting to similar stages year in, year out. Like you said, there was the randomness of of the Cup Winners Cup. So I mean based on that, do you do you miss it and do you think it would be worth bringing back? I mean I, I miss the, the 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 football of my youth. I mean I a great believer in how People are hardwired to the football of the most impressionable years, and, and my most impressionable years were those throughout the 1980s. So yeah, you know the the 1982 World Cup will always remain my favourite because it was my first, you know, and, and and 86 was much anticipated after that. But by 1990, as as you get into your kind of like uh, towards the, what your mid to late teenage years, you know, that's the, by the time you get to your third World Cup, you've you're starting to feel a little bit shortchanged or a little bit disappointed. You know, you've been let down a little bit by by that tournament. Um, so for me, yeah, I, I absolutely adored the the years of the the old currency of, of European competition because of that two legged nature as well, and and the fact that you know the draws weren't seeded, so you know teams, two massive teams, could draw each other in the opening round. You know, which was was kind of what precipitated the alteration of, of the tournaments. Uh, I think it was, was it Real Madrid played Napoli in 87, 88 in the early exchanges of the European, the first round of the European Cup. It was, you know, the, the great and the good of UEFA started to sit up and say, well, why is this showpiece event that really should be the final happening so early in the season? You know, they, they felt every game should be a big one. So hence we have what we have today, but it's killed a lot of the the charm of European football. Mm. Do, do you think there would be a value in, in bringing the Cup Winners' Cup back, though? Yeah, I think it'll be hard because so many domestic Cup winners qualify for the Champions League, you know, and, and 
they would never give up a place in the Champions League to compete in the Cup Winners' Cup. So what you had in the the latter stages of it for one and C's, I think it was 97, 98, for instance, uh, both Ajax and PSV had reached the uh, KMVB Cup Final, the Dutch Cup Final. Uh, they'd qualified for the Champions League. They'd taken the two Champions League places. So when it came to um, coming up with a, a, an Eredivisie uh, representative for the Cup Winners' Cup for the following season. They had a playoff of the two beaten semi-finalists. So it was like an extra Cup final with a Cup Winners' Cup place being the prize for her. So I think I think it would be too unwieldy to do it now. You know, I'd love them to, but it just wouldn't fit into what UEFA now have. And yes, they're bringing back a third European tournament. Um, I think the only hope for that, for me, would have been if they'd have turned around and said... Uh, there'd be no group stages. It is a two-legged knockout tournament and even kind of like a two-legged final being brought back into play. You know, that, that would just make it that little bit more distinct and a bit different for what we already have. So just before we move on to your new book then, have you got any any particular favourite parts of it? Any favourite stories out of out of the Cup Winners' Cup? Well, there's, there's absolutely loads of them in that Cup Winners' Cup book. I mean, I, I, for me, it, it's always come down to, to the Eastern Bloc teams when push comes to shove. You know, it's it's things like uh, Locomotive Leipzig reaching the, the final in 87 against Ajax. Um, you know, it, it went to a penalty shootout in the second leg at the, at the Central Stadium. Uh, over 100,000 were there, and it was the goalkeeper that scored the winning goal against you know an absolutely fantastic Bordeaux side that had John Tigner uh, as part of it. Um, you know, it, it's these type of stories. You know, I, I, I love how Slovan Bratislava won it in 1969 against the odds, uh, beating Barcelona in the final. Uh, you know, they, the Czechoslovakia had been invaded earlier in the season by primarily by the Soviet Union, but they they drawn. You know, many other Eastern Bloc nations into this this quelling of 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 the uprising in Czechoslovakia at the time. So that season, uh, certainly with the Cup Winners' Cup, you had a lot of boycotts from uh, the Soviet top league, from East Germany, Hungary. You know, so many other nations, but the the Czechs they turn around, say, "Well, no, we're going to play, we're going to play on," and Slovan Bratislava went on and won it. But, you know, I just love, absolutely love stuff like that. And uh, just so many, so many brilliant stories in the Cup Winners' Cup. I suppose one thing in there as well is, you know, before Barcelona were able to really sort of master the um, the European Cup, they'd had pl- plenty of success in the Cup Winners' Cup. They did and probably played in the best Cup Winners' Cup final, you know, the 79 final against Fortuna Dusseldorf uh, that they won 4-3. You know, they, uh, they were a side that, could play some brilliantly enigmatic football. Hans Krankel was the star for them at the time, uh, but they uh, they couldn't defend you know, for, for anything. Uh, and again, it was the same stadium they uh, lost at in the 1969 final against Slovan Bratislava. So it was a case of them going back and, and kind of like vanquishing the ghosts of a decade earlier and, and uh, Charlie Rexach, the who were going to coach them. He, uh, he played in both of those finals. And, and it's just little, little, little quirks like that. But yeah, Barcelona, no one won it more than they did. They won it four times. They lost two further finals. You know, even going all the way up to the very latter stages of it, when Bobby Robson led them to to win it in '97 with Ronaldo and Luis Figo in that side, and they were they 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 just took to it like a, a duck to water, basically. And they'd had so many disappointments 
in the European Cup to have lost the what the sixty one final against uh, Eusebio and Benfica to that that shocking defeat against Stal Bucharest in the eighty six final in Seville and and the Cup Winners Cup just seemed to be a bit of a a bit of a refuge for them because they, you know, Cruyff led them to it in eighty nine. And uh, they had they had the the downsides of it, you know. They, they lost to Man United in ninety one. Uh, they were they were psyched out of that one, really. Uh, but uh, yeah, the the there were periods of time that, that you know if the if there was a, def, a definitive cup winners cup side or or a team that even vaguely dominated, then then Barcelona would be that side. Mm. So moving on to your, your new book, then where the cool kids hung out. Um, now this one you say it's about the UEFA Cup, but it is a specific. It's uh, not not the the full history of the UEFA Cup. This is specific to the the seventy one to ninety seven era. Yes, it's it's when when the UEFA Cup was the UEFA Cup or or the UEFA Cup as as it used to be called by TV commentators and and uh, journalists alike. And and there was a a great kind of propensity for. Uh, the wrong spelling of the tournament as well. The the U and the E would often be swapped, so it would be the the EUFA UEFA Cup. Uh, <laughs> and and I've I've seen kind of like footage of games all the way up to the the very early nineties. Uh, Brian Moore still referring to it as the UEFA Cup. Uh, you know, I've read articles, you know, as part of my research, and and still still seeing it. You know, the the E and the U swapped around. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was it was just yeah another brilliant era of the tournaments. And what I've always said is that each of the three European tournaments, as what had a distinct personality, and this is what gave the UEFA Cup its its, its personality. This two legged final, uh, the fact that there was an extra round in the late November and early December that the, both, neither the European Cup or the Cup Winners Cup had, which just felt like a almost in, 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 in more grown up terms like a lock in. It was like it was like an extra bonus, this extra round. And um and yeah, it was the fact that there were three or four teams from every big hitting nation there as well. So the lineup of teams in it would be, you know, astronomically it, it would it would look a lineup that would would do the the modern day Champions League proud. But neither none of the teams apart from England's and Scotland's League Cup winners, for instance, uh, the teams that qualified would qualify through a league place. And so, you know, some people would call it the runners-up cup because you didn't have to win something to be in it. So, you know, the, the river, you know it, it would be degraded by some people, but it grew in stature. And, and it was it was a much-loved tournament. And, and I lamented the fact that, you know, it, it's, it gradually began to feel less and less like the UEFA Cup the more it stripped away. So when it was swapped to a one-off final, you know, it, it kind of became just like the others. So, you know, it lost part of its character. Uh, and then once you started to, to draw teams, more teams into the Champions League, it just kind of lost its its focus. I, I always described it in Monopoly terms is that if the European Cup was Mayfair and the Cup Winners' Cup was, say, you know, Oxford Street, then, you know, it, it's Piccadilly. The UEFA Cup was Piccadilly, whereas now... There's a defined schism. There's a line. There's an uptown, downtown feel to the the Champions League and the Europa League. The Europa League would be, you know, one of the orange properties. It'd be Vine Street or something like that compared to the Mayfair of, of the Champions League. Whereas I, I think that the the Cup, Winners' Cup and the UEFA Cup, you know, although they weren't of the magnitude of the European Cup, 
they were still way up there. They weren't a million miles behind the the vibe of winning it. I think that there's something in that as well, is in I suppose for for so many people now, it's the, the Champions League era has been around for quite a while, and it is it's just taken for granted now that you know there's the top two, three, or four from you know leading leagues are in there. As you said, you know the runners up cup, but you know the, these teams that had finished second or third, you know, would often be actual, you know, in the process, actually in the process of winning the league yes their, you know yeah. their respective league so you could end up you could have a UEFA Cup final between two teams who actually are becoming champions yes yeah. whereas a European Cup could end up being between teams who are finishing third or fourth in their respective league so you know it it was and that's the thing isn't it you know like you say you know how how much prestige was on that tournament then as compared to now yeah, it's it's a different landscape. It's a slightly different feel to it. Whereas, um, you know, you, great point about about where teams were finishing. The you know the nineteen seventy five European Cup final, Bayern Munich versus Leeds United was played by two mid table teams. You know, Bayern had a, a, a dreadful domestic season and finished about tenth that season, I think. Whereas Leeds United weren't much higher in the first division. Uh, the nineteen seventy six UEFA Cup final when Liverpool played Bruges, Liverpool were winning the league title. Uh, in between, I think the two legs of that final. Um, so yes, you know, absolutely correct that you know teams that were were on the way to winning the title would often be at the business end of a UEFA Cup. But um, yeah, now it's it's somewhat different because the the Champions League you can finish fourth and qualify. You know, it it you're still European champions, but it, it's a different type of a feel to it. The European Cup as was, there was a a knife edge to it. There was a a feeling of almost kind of like being on thin ice because you had to win your league title to obtain a place in it. And then you were going through these two-legged encounters where one false move and you could be out. So from a Liverpool perspective, the losses against Nottingham Forest in 78-79, Dinamo Tbilisi, 1979-80, 1979-80, Forest themselves did it the following season, 80-81, as back-to-back European champions lost to, I think it was CSKA, Sofia. So once you'd lost that and you were out, you had to go back to the drawing board. So so there's that snakes and ladder, you know, it's, it's it's you know, the, the, you've got the head of the snake up on number 83 and it sends you back down to number 12 or something like that. You know, there the really was this kind of thin ice element to the European Cup. So for the teams that won it, to go through all that, to win your league title, to plot your way through a European Cup competition and then win a, uh, it was the most precarious uh, routes to have to take to get to European glory. And teams don't have to go through that now. You know, you, you can have a, you can be a massive team and have a, a poor season yet still gain qualification to the Champions League. Uh, and then by the time that the next season comes along, you know, decent restrengthening in the summer, come at it from a different angle, and you can you can be winning the league title, or you can be winning the, the Champions League from a from a, a a previously poor season. Yeah, it was a, a completely different tournament uh, altogether. Then, so in terms of inspiration for for the book, then I mean, was there anything particular for this one, like there was a pre, like the last one, or was it just simply it seemed like a natural progression, having written that. Uh, the, the first one on the Cup Winners' Cup? Yeah, it just felt like a natural progression. 
you know, having having done the first one, um, we we had chatted with the the publisher, and once they said, yeah, they really, you know, because they were they were they were happy with the Cutwinners Cookbook, and uh, and they were more than more than happy to go with, uh, with this one on the UEFA Cup, and I think with with the fact that you know the the Cup Winners Cup ran from nineteen sixty one. 6061 to 1998 1999 um that uefa cup two legged final year was 71 to, to 97 so it kind of fitted neatly you know alongside that cup winners cup you know the the time span was was similar you know shorter but it was it was a similar nature so uh, it just it just felt like a natural progression and what about in terms of the amount of work involved in, in putting this together then, you know, was this an arduous task to, to go through or was there a lot of so much material that you've, you've got to actually sort of start narrowing it down as to what's going to come in and what's going to be in, what's going to be out? Um, I think it's landed pretty luckily for me is that it, the first one just fell into place. So, so naturally it was, I mean, you, you write articles yourself and writing a book is like writing the biggest article you've ever written in essence the the rules are the same you you can write an article and it feel like uh, a, 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 you know like you're arm wrestling the article you know it's 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 a struggle it shouldn't be a struggle but sometimes it's a struggle because you know you you will wind and, and meander to the end of an article sometimes whereas other ones you just rattle off in an, in an hour and it it's almost like it falls on the keyboard uh, and and this is what the cup winners cup book did it just kind of fell onto the keyboard and, and there it was. Um, but um, so, yeah, it, that within that, it gave me a template of how to do the UEFA Cup. So I followed that template in a way, um, not to the, to the full letter of it. You know, it's not a, it's not a carbon copy completely. Um, the Cup Winners Cup book was done on geographical regions, uh, clusters of teams from, from certain areas, so, for instance, I did that chapter on, on Barcelona and uh, Catalan Adventures and, and, and other Iberian teams or, or something along those lines. So I clustered kind of like Barcelona, the other Spanish teams that had excelled in it, plus the Portuguese sides. I did a, a chapter solely on the 80-81 season because it had so much that happened in it. Uh, I did a, a chapter on Eastern Block sides. I did a chapter on West Ham's propensity to do so well in it they won it they got to another semi-final they lost a further final so it it all just fell into place so with the UEFA Cup it kind of worked the same way but the UEFA Cup had much more defined lines whereas everything seemed like a a bit of a snowstorm in the Cup Winners Cup the UEFA Cup had these these very very distinct eras so those first few years of the tournament you know, you had uh, uh, Tottenham won it. They beat West uh, Wolves in the final. Liverpool then won it in seventy three. Tottenham got to another final in seventy four. Liverpool won it again seventy six. So there was a def- very defined English domination of those early years, which was a handover from the first cup, the end of the first cup, because the last four first cup were won by English teams. So that made sense, and then it kind of drifted into you know chapter on chapter. It it. it more or less fell into certain defined eras where the the teams of certain nations did well. You know, so Borussia Mönchengladbach excelled. They reached four finals in in eight years, eight seasons. Um, 
you know, the the rise of kind of like the Eredivisie where Twant got to the final in 75, PSV won in 78. So it, it all seemed to fall into place. Certain teams needed their own chapter, like Ipswich, you know, for, for winning in 81, they, they, they needed their own defined chapter. There was the second coming of Tottenham, he won in 84. But then within that, you know, it brought Anderlet into the into the story and how they'd won in 83 and then got to the final and, uh, you know, suspicious, not even you know, confirmed suspicious circumstances in 84. So, and then Real Madrid, you know, won back-to-back in 85 and 86. And it, it just kind of, again, all fell into place, but it it felt much neater because it was less scattergun than the Cup Winners' Cup had, had been. But within that, the Cup Winners' Cup, but it lent on that randomness and that's what made it. Whereas the, you know, the, the UEFA Cup, that that kind of more serene path of of glory for teams fitted in with the cool kids kind of uh, theme. What about sort of like a time frame? Then is it is this a long process in terms of the actual writing and putting it together? And I mean, obviously, there's the other thing as well. You know, to anyone who's like myself who's never actually written, it's written a book. It's that whole thing of it uh, off to editors and back and forth and back and forth. I mean, is is it a that a long and painstaking part of it? Um, it it's uh, you know it, it is hard work to do. Uh, you know Michael Calvin, who we've been lucky enough to 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 do a podcast with on some of his books, State of Play in particular. We did we did, and and he described it as nailing the start and then sprinting to the finish. You know it's it, that that's how you do it. You know you, the first ten thousand words that you you get down are hugely important. And then, you know, you've got to cover the ground as quickly as you can. Otherwise, like fatigue and mental fatigue will kick in. But you've got to enjoy what you're doing as well. And and luckily enough, you know, the topics I've been writing about, I totally, totally enjoy. You've got to have a passion for it as well. But yeah, the process, everyone's different in the way that they approach you. You know, I'm not one who you know, does countless interviews and then puts the anecdotes of players and, and fans into my writing. Uh, for me, I view football from an esoteric angle. I can't do the uh, the skill of taking a person, taking a reader to the topic via kind of like the, the thoughts of others and experience of others. I can take you to my cockeyed angle of a subject, if that makes sense. So it does. Yeah, so that's the way I do it. So when I come to write a book, I will looking at say the cup winners cup for instance you know i I broke it down into well who won it and where did they come from so it was kind of like yes the cup winners cup barcelona won it and you know valencia won it and uh sporting won it so i could cluster all them together i could cluster all the eastern block sides together and 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 that was the way that i kind of and then you open a word document you construct some chapters uh, you know, which are basically just kind of like topics that you, you think will work. I put them into an order that I think will work. And then I'll, I'll just sit and I'll read, you know, articles off, off you know, the Times online website and the uh, the British newspaper archive uh, are invaluable. You know, I'll, I'd sit and watch games just, just, for, the, just for the love of it. And, uh, and I would speak to people, but it, it was more in a way of, of of building up that passion, you know, and, and and feeding off the passion of others. So you know, I would I would put bits and pieces in the book, but it would tend to be, I would I would often speak to people for like an hour, which was great, 
but then come away with kind of like nothing. I, I ended up having conversations with people and then they'd agree with me rather than me agreeing with them at the end. You know, I'd, I'd often kind of like have a conversation and then I'd give them kind of like, they'd walk away with like three or four different ideas of what we'd been talking about. So it, it would be, it'd be wild like that sometimes. So, but like I say, this is where it dawned on me that how I, how I write and the way I had to do it. So, yeah, it, it, it does. But then eventually it, it starts to take shape because these headings that you have as chapters, you just throw in notes. And, and, and because much of it, or certainly a good chunk of it, I could draw on my own, my own memory of watching these games, of listening to them and, and living the era, is that I would draw on my own experience of it. And then, you know, and, and then suddenly, you know, you'd find that, You've written a load of notes under each heading, each chapter heading, and then, you know, you you just pick off one one chapter at a time, and and for me, it wasn't even a case of kind of like writing the first chapter first or you know going in order. It would just be where the mojo was. So if I wanted to write about the Eastern Block, I'd, I'd write the Eastern Block chapter. If if I you know thinking oh West Ham, I can write about West Ham or Andalet who who got to three successive finals or with the UEFA Cup book. It was like right you know it would often be kind of if I'd just sat and watched a game. Sometimes I've, I've watched a you know a league match. Suddenly it's kind of like oh I, I, I can write about Real Madrid now you know and, and stuff like that. So. It is. It's just the way, you know. The any any author how their head ticks in a way, but everyone does it does it differently. But you know, that's mine. It's it's organised, but it's disorganised. Organised, <laughs> organised chaos. It sounds like Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> we won't even get into that one. Um, have you got any favourite ties or, or finals then? Going, you know, when you've gone through it, and oh, like you say, you know, you've watched some some of the footage back. Have you you've got any particular ones that stand out? Yeah, I mean, for for finals that I remember, you know, that that within my consciousness, um, the Cup Winners' Cup, um, eighty three, uh, Aberdeen's victory against Real Madrid was was a wonderful, wonderful uh, occasion. It was fantastic. I remember that game vividly uh, on, on the television and how how the rain just seemed to make the screen glisten and it was all red against all white. So Liverpool being all red, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a huge, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a, an Aberdeen aficionado. You know, if, if we're looking for a, a Scottish team with a soft spot for it, it was Jim McLean's Dundee United for me during the 1980s. But yeah, I just, I just, yeah, I loved that 1983 final, you know, and, and it was probably the first game or maybe, maybe the second game, France, West Germany, would would have been the first probably where I felt like extra time was a bonus rather than rather than a chore, you know, watching a game of football, and uh, it was just such a such a magnificent game. So yeah, for the Cup Winners Cup, you know, of my personal recollection, eighty three. Um, historically speaking, watching games and footage of of games that happened before my time as such. Um, that that seventy nine final between Barcelona and, and Fortuna Düsseldorf, so a work of art. Uh, as is um, the 64 final between Sporting and MTK. They shared a three-all draw in front of the lowest attended European final of all time. About 3,000 were there. Uh, and then it was a game that went to a replay a few nights later in Brussels where there was about there was more like 10,000 there because of, of how well the first game had gone. Bear in mind, this is an era before cheap budget travel. Um, the game finished one 0 It was scored by a goal that was that went in directly from a corner. You know, so just to add add even more mystery and, and randomness to a 
But then the UEFA Cup, yeah, that that 84 final sticks out between Tottenham and Anderlecht. Tony Park's heroics with the penalty shootout. Uh, Ipswich against AZ Alkmaar. Uh, Ipswich you know, often struggled away from home in European ties. They have to build up a big lead in the first leg and, and that's how that panned out as well to win 3-0 at Portman Road and then at one point hanging on at like 4-3 on aggregate. Uh, was 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 just typical typical of, of Ipswich, uh, but yeah, some of those nineteen nineties finals as well. They were they were huge events. The the, the Italian domination between nineteen eighty nine and you know Palmer in ninety nine, so just overlapping into the one legged final era was massive. And and that that Italian era in the nineties coincided perfectly with kind of the football Italia and. James Richardson and Peter Brackley and, and all of that that went on. So these were bonus, absolutely massive bonuses. So when Roma were playing into Milan, for instance, in the, the 91 final over two legs, they were just two huge events. And and this was uh, within the slipstream of Italia 90, which was a World Cup where I, I did feel disappointed with her. But on the basis of the football played, aesthetically, it was massively pleasing. Uh, you know the the footage, those dots down the side of the screen. So any time over the following years that an Italian game would be there, and those those Rai TV dots down the side of the screen, and, and the 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 graphics and the visuals of the nineteen ninety World Cup, uh, I absolutely adored those. But it was the names of the players, and uh, you know, and it was just such a, a Hollywood league at the time, Serie A. And you know, a ruthless talking to uh, it was Tim Capel the other day. He was kindly invited to be on to his podcast and. We were we were talking about like the best eras of teams and and leagues and uh, you know I, I cited that eighteen team Serie A era where four four teams would be relegated. It was utterly ruthless. Only the strongest would would, would be able to prevail, and even then some of them would flounder. And uh, I just absolutely adored those those nineteen nineties UEFA Cup two legged finals that involved those those heroic Italian teams. Yeah, just looking at that, I mean. <laughs> Six out of seven finals, uh, Italian teams won from uh, 89 through to uh, 95. Yeah. I do vividly, vividly remember the 89 final between Napoli and Stuttgart because I was living in Germany at the time. All oh, right, yeah. And remember that one? Yeah, that was pretty tight. Yeah. Well, and Napoli just coming out on top. I mean, yeah. would, that, would that have been the Diego Maradona Napoli at the time as it well? It would. It was Diego Maradona. Uh, Klinsman was in the Stuttgart side for the second leg. Anyway, yeah. he missed the first game. Uh, but yeah, you know, Kareka and, and just just the, the names were just... Anybody. It was like 1990 where uh, it was Juventus and, and Fiorentina and Roberto Baggio was playing for Fiorentina before transferring to Juventus. So it's this this melodrama is just epic because you know the the writing had been on the wall that this transfer was going to happen and then you know all eyes were on how Baggio would perform in the in that UEFA Cup final and he you know just didn't quite turn it on you know the pressure was too much and it told uh, so yeah these these five I think there was only between that eighty nine and ninety nine final I think there was only one UEFA Cup final that didn't have an Italian team contesting. A- just looking again and say that Napoli Stuttgart five four on aggregate, eighty three thousand in the first leg and sixty seven thousand yeah, in the second. I mean, it's just absolutely fantastic, mind blowing. And, and that was one of the great things about that two legged UEFA Cup final era was that, um, unlike some of the the European Cup finals and Cup Winners Cup finals, I mean, even even my team Liverpool that first European Cup final success at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome. 
know, look at look up the game and and you'll see kind of like you know huge you know uh, parts of the stadium as empty. You know, it's it's unpopulated in parts. Uh, you know, cup, when it's got fans, Aston Villa, nineteen eighty two European Cup final at the Cup in Rotterdam. You know, plenty of empty seats. You know that that was never the case in the UEFA Cup final because you played one leg at home, you played one leg away. It was always played in front of a vibrant, vibrant atmosphere and a, a very partisan crowd. And and again, it made it helped make what the UEFA Cup was. Yeah, I mean, again, it's like you say, you know, the, the difference between that and, well, all three competitions had that they all had their own personality. They were all distinctly different. And and it, it does kind of make you think, you know, of what you could do with the Europa League, how, you know, how you can make it better and, and adding its own personality absolutely could be something. I mean, just looking at that, you know, the different formats now, the the, the Europa League is, you know, a, a mini, not even a B version of the Champions League. Unfortunately, it really is the, the much poorer cousin. But comparing what it is now to how it used to be the UEFA Cup, even when it was, you know, a one-off final, you know, knockout throughout, you know, from, from start to finish without the groups, they're the just... Something different, something different. I mean, how would you look upon it then as to what it's like now? Yeah, well, what it did, they, they chipped away bit by bit at the UEFA Cup. You know, that, that alteration from a two-legged final to a, a one-off final, that was uh, absorbed with the Cup Winners' Cup vanishing after the 1999 final. So, you know, it, that loss of a two-legged final wasn't lamented quite so early because some of those first one-off UEFA Cup finals were were quite epic, really. You know, Ronaldo's masterclass against Lazio in the 1998 final being the first one kind of set the tone. You know, everyone had a soft spot for that part aside that the took apart Marseille in 99. Um, obviously, the Liverpool-Alavez final, the 5-4 in, in 2001. You know, uh, Feyenoord... Had won against Borussia Dortmund 2002. That that Seville final, Sevilla final was was a cracking one in 2004, 2003. Sorry. So yeah, there were there were some you know classic classic finals, and and the fact that it remained, uh, you know, knockout two legged football. You know, uh, it, it was almost like UEFA kind of decried or, or they didn't want it to be more popular than the Champions League because people were put off by the league structure of of the Champions League very, very early, I think, especially after it started to extend and expand and to to, to integrate more teams that, that weren't champions to, to allow runners up into the into the tournament, to allow third and fourth place teams into it. Uh, there was there was that dilution of it because eventually once it became like a 32 team tournament at the group stages you know the the composition of the groups started to be watered down somewhat you know that that whole era of of people complaining that Manchester United constantly got a weak group for instance would kick in uh you know at least in those early seasons of the the Champions League and that last season of the European Cup as well as the yes group stages were introduced but they they were all stellar names, so you know there was still a bit of an edge to it. Uh, so once that watering down of the Champions League started to to be introduced, well, we were still looking at the UEFA Cup and saying enjoying these two legged knockout games more than the group stage of the Champions League. You know, UEFA couldn't have had you know, the European Cup being more popular 
than than the Champions League. You know, they, they, they couldn't have done that. So yes, the introduction of, of of group stages to the to the UEFA Cup, the the changing of the name, uh, you know, it, it all just served to make it an unweirdly and an unsatisfactory tournament. I mean, the the Europa League, which is the same tournament as the UEFA Cup, it's the continuation of the UEFA Cup, bears no resemblance whatsoever, the trophy aside, to to the tournament that it was. Uh, The Intercity's first cup, which came before the UEFA Cup, uh, to this day now has more in common with the UEFA Cup as was than the Europa League does. And UEFA will not classify the first cup as being the precursor to the UEFA Cup. So, you know, there's it, it's a it's a minefield. In a way, I kind of find it a, you know, a real shame. And you do kind of wonder, given the popularity and the you know, disparity of, of money between the two competitions, and obviously the Champions League is so huge now and all the, uh, the sponsorship and all the money associated with it, whether or not a change of format could actually, you know, bring about... More popularity, because and obviously more pop, you know, more interest, more popularity, bigger viewing figures. That brings more money, and and if there's one thing to interest you away for, it tends to be more money on the table. It does, but within that, you know, you it's it's less games, isn't it? If if they if they bring it down to a two-legged event again, and uh, and the TV contracts you know stipulate certain amounts of games, and and, and the more more is God really, isn't it? So. You know, unfortunately, more is less. You know, as far as the 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 season football hipster is concerned. Yeah. So, so would you? I know, obviously, it, it's it, it is the subject of your book. But would you um, would you regard that period then of seventy one to ninety seven as the golden age of the UEFA Cup? I would. I would. I think there's, it still had a lot going for it. You know, in the in the early exchanges of that one off final. But like I say, it it had started to detract from what it was. So yeah, for me, it's that, that two legged final era um, is, is, is certainly the, the golden era of that tournament. Now the, um, your second book was a natural progression from the first. So the question has to be, will there be a third? Uh, yes, there will. Uh, <laughs> you know, does it, does it... Are you prepared to say what it is? Are you going to play them cards yeah. close to your chest? No, I think I think anyone can guess that what what that's likely to be. And and yeah, there's a trilogy there that that needs to be uh, completed. And uh, and it, yeah, it's already agreed that likely to be going out next year. It'll be uh, one on old big ears and the European Cup as was. So you know the the pre Champions League, pre Champions League, the yeah the Champions of, Cup, yeah the Champions Cup, yeah. So when 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 it had the proper big ears as well, because even that, you know, annoys me. How when AC Milan were handed, you know, the the one that Liverpool won, the one that Nottingham Forest won, you know, the one that Aston Villa won, that that version of the tournament uh, of the trophy was handed to AC Milan when they won their fifth in two thousand three. Uh, so if you look, the the size of the ears diminish. They they almost kind of like pin the ears back on the next one that they bring out. So the one that Liverpool got to keep in two thousand and five doesn't have the charm of the one that AC Milan got to keep in two thousand and three. So even stuff like that, you know, I I, I I annoys the hell out of me. You know, to to the point that the one that you know Bayern Munich have just been handed that Liverpool won last year, you know, it 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 doesn't look European Cup enough for me. You know. <laughs> 
<laughs> Cosmetic surgery on a trophy. It has, they have. They've, 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 they've pinned the tears back. They've definitely pinned it. There's, 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 been a tuck, there's been a tuck here and a tuck there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not so rounded down the bottom of yeah, the you, 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 you can't You can't call it old big ears anymore. It's, 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 you know, it's, old, it's old smaller ears now. <laughs> oh dear me oh, oh, something else to look forward to I'm going to claim that as an exclusive anyway <laughs> excellent <laughs> and, and, and without a shadow of a doubt the invite will be there um, when that one's out to come and talk about that one oh, too I look forward to that um, but, so in the meantime though I mean uh, whereabouts can people uh, catch you online obviously uh, as you said you know you, uh, you're chief football writer at um, these football times uh, also with uh, this is Anfield. Yes, you're of the Liverpool yes. persuasion. Yes, I do what, what I refer to as after match naval gazing for this is Anfield, uh, which is usually just stuff on on the games Liverpool play that have a, a a loose relation to football, but can often involve anything that's just kind of like stuck in the mind and, and caught the imagination. You know, which has been anything from. Uh, you know, people being a bit too touchy feely in their own front, or you know, the, a plastic bag and an updraft on a on a, a painfully dull goal of straw. So, yeah, if you want something that's that's vaguely related to football, vaguely related to Liverpool, then that's 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 where you'll find it on the Anfield. Uh, yes, these football times, you know, uh, in print, uh, online, podcasts, um, and then uh, and then yes, there's my books. Uh, that that seem to be coming out on an annual basis now. Um, on Twitter is it at Scraggy underscore seventy four? Is that right? Yes, that's me. And uh, yeah, I thought I had that down. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of the books, then whereabouts can uh, people get a hold of copies? Yeah, all reputable bookshops would would be, have it. You know, Waterstones, uh, any of those, and uh, it's it's there on Amazon and on the Pitch Publishing online shop itself. If you go to the Pitch Publishing online shop, uh, then there are various links to the places that, that it can be purchased. But uh, yeah, it's out there, uh, both online and, and in hard copy in the shops. Well, I urge everyone to go out and get themselves a copy. Um, uh, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, been a fun chat. Oh, th- thanks for inviting me, Andy. It's been a joy. Pleasure all mine. Pleasure all mine. So yeah, my thanks to Stephen for joining me and my thanks as always to you for listening and downloading the show. I do hope you join me again next time, but until then, from me, Andy Wales, here on WFI, it's bye-bye now.